Well, it's the uh, wonderful privilege of a, a pastor, a teacher of God's Word, to seek to uh, help his people feed on his Word from Sunday to Sunday. At the same time, I know that uh, sometimes it's uh, hard to have a big meal when it's hot. <laughs> so uh, I'll try to be very concise in uh, directing you to the nourishment that is in God's Word uh, this morning for us. So we're returning again to the uh, closing verses of First uh, John, and I'll be reading uh, verses uh, 18 through the end of the letter, and we'll focus uh, primarily on verse 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, we uh, come this morning to the second of the three great we know statements that uh, John is making here in the close of his letter. Remember again that John is writing this letter to, to a congregation. Of course, he's writing it ultimately to us because the uh, Holy Spirit has seen fit to preserve this in his word. But John, in, in his time setting, is writing to a congregation that's... Uh, been troubled by false prophets, by false teachers uh, that have sown dissension within that little congregation, uh, wherever it may be in the vicinity of Ephesus. And, and then these folks have left the church as well. And, and so that, that's raised some uncertainty and, and some questions, perhaps some anxiety for the church. And so John is, is addressing uh, that situation with, with many words of assurance and encouragement. He, he's wanting to, to build up their courage in following Christ. And, and, and let me just say parenthetically, uh, remember that if you've been born again, you are a follower of Christ. Don't ever look to some human teacher or leader, no matter how godly they may seem, and, and fix your ultimate hope and confidence on them. Okay, no human being is worthy of your unconditional trust. Only Christ is. So why you want to take advantage of opportunities to learn, you don't want to just be, uh, you know, withdrawn from everyone and trying to live your Christian life on your own. But at the same time, remember that as you receive teaching and encouragement from people, that, that is to direct you in following Christ. That's what John is seeking to do. Uh, in his letter. Uh, so, so to return to the, the main subject then, John is seeking to build up the confidence of this congregation and to build up your confidence and assurance in the face of, of uh, three great enemies of your faith, of your soul. Uh, remember, you, your enemies are not human beings, even though they may mistreat you, even though, though the other people may, may do harm to you. Your ultimate enemies that are not human beings, they cannot do anything to harm your relationship with God. 
Okay, they cannot threaten your relationship with Christ. But there are some enemies that attack your relationship with God. And John wants you to be armed against those. Uh, traditionally, these have been spoken of as the, the flesh, your own sinful tendencies, that tendency you're born with, the world, and the devil. And he's going to touch on all these. He's already touched on the flesh, hasn't he, in the verse that we looked at last week. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That little phrase, keep on sinning, that's indicative of, of that sinful human nature that every human being is born with. They're born keeping on sinning. Okay, that's, that's our bent. That's the inclination of our will. David says of himself, but it applies to us all, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's saying that I was born with a disposition towards sin. I was born, uh, to use Jonathan Edwards' imagery, I was born with a will inclined to sin. And, and ironically, of course, that proneness to sin means that, in a very real sense, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Okay. We, are, we are inclined to that which is wrong. We are inclined to that which leads us into sin, that which calls down God's wrath upon us, his just judgment for our sin. And so, in a, in a very real sense, we're, we're our own worst enemies if we're left to ourselves. And, and so we're in a desperate state. Uh, it, it, it's not a small problem that we're born into. I was listening to a message by Vody Bauckham recently, of a message that he preached some time ago, and, and, and he made the point that if our, if our core being was good, all we'd need is some good advice. It, you know, if our, our main problem was we, we, we wanted to do right but just didn't know enough, then then a good education would be the answer. Uh, if, if we basically wanted to please God, then, then all we'd need is a little help and an encouragement to that. But that's, in fact, not, not reality, is it? Uh, we, are, we are spiritually dead in sin. A, a, a dead person cannot do anything for themselves. We don't... We don't need good advice, Bauckham went on to say. We need good news from a God who is intervening on our behalf. We don't need new information. We need a new heart and a new mind. Uh, we don't need a little help. We need resurrection from the dead. We need the Spirit of God to do a work of bringing life into us spiritually. And the apostle has reminded us that, that what he has proclaimed is that good news. That God has made those who were his enemies, and enemies of themselves even, into his friends. Even beyond that, he's made them his children. He has caused us to be born again, to be resurrected from spiritual life. And so it's the work of the Spirit in breathing life into those who were dead in their sins uh, that is in view... Of, of John that, that frees us from slavery to sin, and that's what he's 
talking about in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Before God's work in our lives, we couldn't do anything to keep on sinning. But now that he has acted on our behalf, we're no longer enslaved by that sinful nature, by that old self or old man, as it's sometimes called in Scripture. We can, we can say no to sin in a very real way for the, for the first time. So it's, it's really when God's done that work of grace in your heart that your battle with sin actually begins. Before that, you were helpless before sin. But once God has given you life in Christ, now you have a fighting chance. In fact, you have a fighting, you have the promise of victory in that fighting. Uh, so, you have your sinful flesh to deal with, you have the world and the devil, and that's what he's going to focus on in verses 18 and 19, the world and the evil one, or the devil. These two enemies support and encourage your sinful flesh. You're still guilty, even when you give in to the world of the devil, but they're encouraging you in that sin. And so, like your own inclination to sin that is put to death by Christ, he has defeated these enemies too, and John wants you to know that as you come away from this text, that he has defeated all three of these enemies on your behalf and caused you to live in that, in that freedom. Now, now, let's move on then to our text, uh, verse 19, and think specifically about this, this expression, the world. Now, this is one of those words that's used in a number of, of different ways. It can mean this created order. And we know that the world in that sense was created very good. There is nothing intrinsically sinful about matter itself. Uh, and, and so we're to receive this created order that God's placed us in with thanksgiving and, and, and with gratitude for, for his goodness to us in giving us the world. And that's obviously not the way that John's using it here. Sometimes this word is used to to mean the whole human race. There's only one race. There are not multiple races. That's just a social construct. There's one human race. And so sometimes this phrase, the world, is used in Scripture to mean all those people. It's Jews, Gentiles, people of every ethnic group. And again, that's not what's in view here. What's in view here is that the specific use of the world to designate everyone and everything that's in rebellion against God. There is an, there's been a, a massive rebellion against God as king and his kingdom, and those in rebellion are characterized as the world. Uh, John's used this term back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and this tells us what's in his mind when he uses it here in our text. Do you not love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here's his definition, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It, Jesus uses this same term in a similar fashion to mean all those who are in rebellion against God in his uh, prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus praying to the Father says, I, these things I speak in, this, in the world, he's meaning there this 
time and place, that they, that is, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them the, your word, and the world, using it here in the sense that it's in our text, those who are in rebellion against God, has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, meaning this present earthly existence, but that you keep them from the evil one. See the connection there with our text. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So that's the world. And specifically, John says here, literally what, what he says is, the whole world in the evil one lies. The whole world in the evil one lies. And I'm, I'm translating this term, the evil one. It can be translated evil. You could translate this, the whole world in evil lies. And, and there's an element of truth to that. But John has used this same term just in the verse previous to this, hasn't he? And there it's translated the evil one. He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. That's the same term. He also uses back in chapter 3 when he said that, that Cain is of the evil one. And also in chapter 2, uh, he uses it in the same sense. So I think it's right to, to translate it here, evil one. And, and so the world in the evil one lies. That verb there is, is, is a verb that means to propose, to, to, to repose, I mean, to to lie passively in. It, it's, it's used of, of a corpse laying in a tomb or of stones laid in a foundation. And, and so you, you almost have an image, image here in your mind of, of the world that is all, the, all those in rebellion against God lying in the embrace of the evil one. Uh, because they are in rebellion against God, they have given themselves over to his influence, and there's a sense in which he rules them. And so Jesus himself speaks of the devil in John chapter 14 as the ruler of this age. There's a sense in which, which God in his divine will has given over those in rebellion against him to the devil. And so they're influenced by him. The devil seems to know this. Look at the temptation of Jesus, where he off Satan offers Jesus the authorities, the powers, the glories of the kingdom of the world. And he says, it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. And so there's a sense in which the world is captive under sin. And so that's in parallel structure then with the phrase that John's been using and is used elsewhere, of the devil. So, for instance, uh, back in chapter 3 again, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Their, their bondage in sin means that they're of the same company as the devil. This is the sense in which Jesus says to the Pharisees at one point, your father is the devil. That obviously, he's not saying they're biologically descended from the devil. He's saying, your rejection of me, your aligning yourself against me, puts you in the enemy camp, makes you, in a sense, a child of the devil. And, and this is the natural state, again, 
of all those who are spiritually dead. And God, you're, they're not their own person. They have no freedom. They're slaves to their sin nature. They're slaves to the temptations of the world. They're slaves to uh, the devil. And so uh, Paul describes our being freed from that in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See how he sets all three of those in conjunction? Okay, you were, you were walking in your sin nature, you were following the way of the world, and you were following the prince of the power of the air, the, the devil, in other words, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, that is the enemy, then, that, that John's talking about here. He's already reminded us uh, of the foolishness of giving in to that enemy, giving ourselves over to the course of the world, the way of the world. Back in ch chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, again, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here's the key point that I, I want to point you to. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you see the import of that? No, nothing that the world can offer to satisfy your sinful nature is lasting. Nothing in it endures. The world says that, that some physical pleasure outside of God's will can bring you a satisfaction, but that, that pleasure is here one moment and it's gone the next. It doesn't endure. The world says that your present uh, prosperity or poverty is, is all that matters. That's what you ought to be obsessed with. And, and neither material prosperity or poverty lasts into eternity, does it? The world seeks to delude you into thinking that your present pleasure, your earthly happiness in this moment is to be your goal of life. But time itself escapes you, right? And if you trade earthly fulfillment for eternal joy, you're the ultimate loser. That's what John is emphasizing when he says the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He wants you to know that ultimate joy that is found in God and in things of eternity. And that leads us to, to consider the positive aspect of our text uh, in closing. Uh, notice that expression of God here. Speaking of those who have been born of God, the apostle says they've been delivered from slavery to their sinful nature and to the devil, we were in the kingdom of darkness doing the will of the world, but now we are children of the light, citizens and soldiers in the kingdom of God. We go back to 1 John chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous, righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. If Christ lives in you, then he enables you to choose rightly through his presence, through his spirit in you. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, that's the opposite condition, 
is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, and most specifically in this context, to destroy the works of the devil in the hearts and lives of those whom he came to save. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You see what he's saying there? When you're born of God, he implants his seed in you. He, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and you are able to conquer sin. You're able to resist those sinful tendencies from within and without. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There are the two camps again. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Notice how he ties that in with that theme of love that we've seen so often in this, uh, in this letter. Now, John has already noted in the letter that it's the confession of Jesus as God in human form come to redeem sinners that distinguishes true prophets or teachers from those who are false. And remember, that's the original circumstance that he's writing to. Back in verse, uh, verses 1 through 3 of 1 John 4, uh, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So he's saying you have the ability to overcome false teaching because you've been born of God. He goes on to say, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, that is, these false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he goes on to say that you have rejected the false teaching. You have received us, meaning the apostolic witness, the word of God. And that has happened because you have been born of God. Likewise, John assured those who are born by the work of the Spirit that they've overcome the world. So they've overcome false teaching. They've overcome the world as well. Earlier in chapter 5, 1 John 5, 4 and 5, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And what's the means? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you see that? It's because you've been brought to faith in Christ that you're able to overcome the world. Uh, Paul reflects this uh, same emphasis on faith when he's using the, the, uh, war, the uh, words of a soldier in Ephesians 6.16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How does Christ enable you to overcome temptation, to overcome the world? It's through your faith, your trust in him. In fact, John... John has assured those who are born by the work of the Spirit that they, in a sense, have already overcome him. He speaks of their victory in the past tense, back in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I'm writing to you, young men, and of course here he's using a generic, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. And he repeats the same idea, but amplifies it in the next verse. 
I write to you because you are strong. Well, how are you strong? The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Through faith and the word of God, John's saying, you are so certain to overcome the world, the evil one, that I can put it in the past tense. It is because they are of God that they overcome. And, and, and notice here, and, and this is where, where I want us to sort of land, it, it, is, it is God at work in believers that brings about this, this victory. That's the significance of that phrase of God. You are of God because God has indwelt you through his spirit. And so you're depending upon his strength. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, The Lord is faithful. He will establish and guard you against the evil one. This is exactly what, what Jesus prayed for in that prayer we looked at a few minutes ago, back in John 17. He prays to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's not going to rescue us out of challenge and, and and hardship at times, but he's praying that God will keep us in the midst of difficulties from the evil one. And notice he goes on to say, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. There's the implication there that, that by dealing with these, this adversity, by overcoming the world, we are sanctified. We are growing in Christ. And so he says, on that basis, there's your confidence. Your confidence in overcoming the world is not in your own willpower. It's not in your own wisdom, in your own strength. It's in the fact that God has set his affection upon you, that he has redeemed you, that he has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. And so how do we overcome the world? How do we remember that its, it's, it's temptations are just temporary and fleeting? Is by keeping our eyes on Christ and, in, and his word. Uh, it, perhaps even today, okay, but certainly this week, you have opportunities to apply this text, to overcome the world, to overcome that that temptation to glorify self and glorify God instead. Now keep your eyes focused on him. Uh, he will give you the victory in that. And so we'll give him all the praise for that as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is, it is the case that we, we are prone, sadly, to often take our eyes off you. And so I, I pray that, that you would keep us mindful of you this coming week. Uh, help us to overcome the distractions from within and without and, and seek to lives, live lives that are focused upon you, that are, that are fixed on seeking your glory and your praise. Uh, you've called us into eternal relationship with us. You have called us to eternal joy. And help us to keep that foremost in our minds and to live, as, live here in this world as, as citizens of another world. And we know that in a very real sense, we'll, we'll be far more good and enjoy far more joy in this world 
as we remember that and live in obedience to you. Uh, do this work, we pray, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.